Welcome to the Peaceful World Schooling Podcast, featuring your host, Angela Harders. We are committed to cultivating a peaceful world beginning right in our own hearts and homes. Together, we believe that the world is our biggest and best classroom, and the people and places in it are our greatest teachers. So I invite you to join me on the adventure of a lifetime, beginning with a conversation that can change the world. Today's episode of the Peaceful World Schooling Podcast is brought to you by the book, Tales of a Toxic Teacher, Exposing the Cycles of Abuse Within Our Schools, written by Angela Harders. In this book, Angela shares some of the shocking experiences that happen behind the closed doors of a public school classroom and exposes some of the many abuses that take place in school intentionally and unintentionally, and no one escapes unscathed. Tales of a Toxic Teacher is available for purchase on Amazon.com. The ebook and audiobook versions are also available for free to members of the Peaceful World Schooling community. If you are interested in becoming a member, just check out the membership link in the description below. Thank you so very much for supporting Angela and for helping to make the Peaceful World Schooling podcast freely available to all. Hello and welcome to the Peaceful World Schooling podcast, where we are committed to cultivating a peaceful world beginning right in our own hearts and homes. My name is Angela Harders and I am a special education teacher, the author of Gospel-Based Parenting and the Crunchy Kids series, and a proud world schooling mom to two amazing children, Sophia and Ben. Today on the Peaceful World Schooling podcast, I have the privilege and honor of introducing you to Lois Wagner. Today, Lois will share her formula for brave children and adults. Um, She has a formula that has been born from her own story and the lessons that she gained from supporting those who have been involved with bullying or other toxic behaviors. Lois is an accomplished speaker, storyteller, mentor, inspirer, learning facilitator, and empowering coach through her program using the acronym SMILE. And as anyone knows, I love acronyms, so I'm excited to learn more about hers. Um, lower your guard today and open your heart to developing new healthy behaviors as we welcome Lois to share her smile with us as she takes you and I on a journey of becoming brave. Thank you so much for joining us today as we have a conversation that can change the world. Hi Angela and everybody, thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to the discussion. Me too. Um, So to get us started, can you just share with us a little bit about you, your family, and your story? Well, SMILE, (laughs) um, that acronym was born out of the fact that despite a lot of hardship and adversity and challenges in my life, I'm always smiling. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so the SMILE describes what I do. So those are the, the services, if you like, that I offer. What does SMILE stand for? Well, it's the speaking. Um, So I'm a storyteller. I'm a TEDx speaker. I'm an author. Mentoring. After so many years of being in life and in business, I've got so much that I can give back and share. Mm. Um, I hope I'm an an inspirer, (laughs) a learning facilitator, a trainer, and uh, a coach, an empowering coach. So that's uh, what I do. That's wonderful. I love that. I didn't even make that connection as I was as I was sharing that. So thank you for clarifying that for me. That's wonderful. All right. Um, so go ahead, continue sharing with us about we learned it, about your SMILE acronym. And can you share with us a little bit more about you and your family? Well, I've, I've got lots to share because I've lived a long and adventurous life. <laughs> uh, so I'm South African, born and bred in South Africa, lived here most of my life. I lived in the Middle East for about 11 years, oh, wow. but the rest of my life here. Uh, started my career in marketing, moved into training, and eventually into speaking and coaching. So I've I've done almost everything in some capacity or other. I've touched every industry. 
uh, either as a consultant or as a trainer or as an employee. Uh, so I've got, I know a little bit about a lot of things. Mm. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I've been, I've worked in coal mines and hospitals and you name it, I've, I've been there. So I've, I've been around, I've got a lot of knowledge on, a, on quite a lot of things. Uh, and one of the things that I did in my 40s, I started in partnership with digital printing business back in the day when digital was still very new and uh, digital print people didn't even have color printers in those days mm. and I started a digital printing business in partnership and it was there that I was brutally attacked and raped tied up and left to bleed to death and so that is where my current story starts. So it's an, that's about 25 years ago now. Uh, but yeah, so that changed my life quite considerably. Wow. Um, I am so sorry that you went through that. And as another rape survivor, I can definitely relate to the fact that that is a moment in your life when it does, it changes everything. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering how did your life change from before that moment to after and who you are now? Well, initially I became an activist, you know, it happened in the day way before the Me Too movement, also at a time where the word rape was never mentioned in polite circles because it didn't happen to us. You know, it was just something that was outside of our sphere of awareness. So, of course, I was, other than shocked and horrified, I was angry. I was so angry that this came into my life. And so I became an activist immediately. I was out there lobbying and petitioning and marching. And I was out there being very public and very noisy about the whole thing because this just shouldn't happen. And it was also at a time in South Africa where we were coming out of apartheid into a democracy mm -hmm. and they were calling for submissions for a new constitution. So I was going to make sure that we changed the law. The, the man that raped me was out on bail for rape. So I wanted to make sure that that law changed. Mm -hmm. And so I made a big noise <laughs> for a couple of years until one day, um, my back collapsed. I, I was, uh, I just couldn't get out of bed one day and I had two back operations, both of them failed until it was pointed out to me that it was all psychosomatic, that there was nothing wrong with me physically. When I was this activist, I was out there, I was so strong and I was so brave and everybody was so proud of me and I was just beat, you know, fighting the good fight. And I was so strong and so brave. And I hadn't dealt with my own trauma. I hadn't dealt with my own negative emotions because I was out there changing the world. So what was happening, I was ignoring my emotions and I was putting them behind me. I was putting them behind me onto my back until my back eventually said, I can't take this anymore. And my back collapsed and I was bedridden for six months. So when it was pointed out to me that this was all in my head, I did the inner work. I went and dealt with the trauma and the emotions. I did eight chiropractic treatments. The surgeon had told me that I would never hike or scuba dive again because I couldn't carry anything on my back. Mm. Um, and after doing that inner work and the treatments, I did a five-day hiking trail with a 29-kilogram backpack on my back. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, uh, so that's where it all really began. But then, you know, life takes over. I lost the business where I was working. Um, uh, my partner betrayed me. Mm. He said he would buy me out. I didn't want to work there anymore. He said he would buy me out, but he didn't. And he put the business into liquidation. I went deep into debt. And so I had to go back and get a job and start working again. So... So all my activism and my wanting to change the world took a back seat um, and I got on with my life and uh, just started my career all over again. Um, and until three years ago. What happened three years ago? Three years ago, I was working in the Middle East 
uh, and I reached an age where they didn't want to renew my visa anymore. Uh, they, they, in that particular country, don't particularly want expats over the age of 60. Mm. Um, and so they wouldn't renew my visa. And so I had to come home. And I came home age 64 and I thought, you know, do I want to go back into corporate? Uh, have I the energy to go and compete with all the youngsters who are out there who've already got the market? You know, I've been out of the country 11 years. I didn't know who was who anymore in the business. It meant starting again. Mm. And I thought, oh, do I really want to start again? Or do I want to go back and pick up what I started all those years ago? Mm. and go into personal life coaching and help victims of trauma. And so that's what I did. I started my own coaching and consulting business on helping victims of trauma. Wow. And how did you, do you have children of your own or how did you come to care about having these discussions around trauma specifically when it comes to children? Well, it's just, it, it is just so wrong that, that there are boys and girls out there who've got such toxic uh, mentalities, such toxic behaviors. Mm -hmm. And so I was helping people overcome their trauma. And then I thought, why am I helping people overcome their trauma? Uh, we should stop it happening in the first place. We shouldn't have to help people. And so where does it start? It starts with the youth. And so I decided I need to go to the youth and teach them the behaviors that will enable them to be brave, <laughs> um, to stop toxic behaviors and bullying and harassment and sexual and gender-based violence. Mm. And so when you're talking about toxic behaviors, can you give us some examples of what you mean when you say toxic behaviors? Well, there's so many, uh, but just little ones that kids do, you know, they, they, uh, they cancel, cancel culture, and they, they tease people who are different, or they flirt with girls, or they take pictures of girls under their skirts, or they send what we call sexts, <laughs> uh, nasty texts that have got a sexual nature to them. So there's lots of those kind of things. And of course, with social media, cyberbullying is so huge. Um, and then obviously, in-person bullying as well. And so those are the kinds of behaviors. If we can teach our youth to stop those behaviors, we won't have the pandemic that we have of gender-based violence. You know, one in three women are abused in some form or other around the world. And uh, the, they say one in 10 men, but I think it's probably more than that because men don't usually speak out about it. Mm -hmm. That is very true. And I, I love that you're looking at how we can prevent trauma. I mean, that's a, a brilliant concept because yes, there's this whole industry that survives around helping people recover from trauma. But if we can get to a place where we can prevent that trauma from even starting, I mean, that, that's the game changer. That's the game changer when we can become conscious, respectful, kind human beings to one another and prevent that trauma from ever even occurring. And actually that's, um, I, I've been working on this book uh, called Tales of a Toxic Teacher, where I write about different toxic behaviors, um, partially stemming from my own experience in, in a toxic, you know, a, emotionally abusive marriage to also dealing with um, you know, these toxic behaviors that we see in schools a lot. And I was writing it, you know, from the perspective of a teacher that there are toxic behaviors that we as teachers, you know, adults do, whether that be intentionally or unintentionally that contribute to harm in children, whether we're aware of it or not. Um, but, you know, you're, you're talking to the children and, and it's cool because I'm, you know, I'm also kind of having these conversations with adults um, around this same topic, because, you know, from my perspective too, in order to prevent a lot of the trauma happening to children, we have to address the trauma that's happening in school and at home, because those are the two main places where children experience severe, like life-changing, life-impacting trauma. And so if we can address trauma in the home and at school, 
I mean, that that's going to make the difference. And then also giving children those resources, as you mentioned, to deal with those traumas and to behave differently themselves. That's what's going to make the change in the world. So I am super excited. I want to dive right in. Please tell us what is brave? What is the brave formula for dealing with toxic behaviors? Well, it's evolved and it's evolving as, as I'm working with it. So it started off being the B stood for boundaries. Mm. So if we understand our own boundaries, because we don't know our boundaries, you know, we sort of, until, until we're in a situation, you say, oh, I don't like that. So it's about understanding what your boundaries are and then understanding the boundaries of the people around you mm-hmm. um, and communicating it and talking about the boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, I then added to the be added bystander because bystander, you know, the, the bystander effect where people don't get involved. Mm-hmm. They, they watch, they see they empathize or sympathize, but they don't do something about it. Mm-hmm. And the one story that, that always sticks in my mind many years ago, on the street in the morning, painted in red paint right across the street, was I saw what happened. I'm sorry, I didn't do anything. And there were red roses thrown over the street. So that person who wrote that saw something mm-hmm. and did nothing about it. And, to, you know, we will never know what actually was witnessed. But that person who saw it is also walking around with guilt and trauma, having witnessed whatever it was. So the whole bystander effect, you know, we can't always intervene because it may be dangerous. But hey, these cell phones, you can can call somebody, you can shout, you can create a distraction. There are many things you can do. So um, bystander is very important to to work on, on getting people to do something. Yeah, well, I, I remember when I was when I was teaching, um, there was a time when one of the students was actually attacking one of the my coworkers, one of the teachers, and it was this you know a really small, very you know petite Filipino lady, and um, and one of the other students just came and started attacking her, and instead of everyone else doing something to try to help this teacher who's just being beat you know, to a pulp in the middle of school, in the middle of the hallway, um, everyone comes around and they're running around and just taking their cell phones and uploading it to social media. And I, and, and I just remember thinking like, no one is helping this woman. Like they're more excited about getting the views and, and, you know, having like the, the trending viral video on TikTok or Instagram or Facebook or whatever, rather than actually stepping in to do something that can be helpful in this really terrible situation. And you know, you're you're right that that bystander effect of watching terrible things happen, um, it 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 really it really is something that all of us need to really work on on being aware of what's going on around us and not just sitting back and watching or recording with our phones, but being willing to step in when when those things are happening. Um, and to do something about it. So yeah, that's great. All right. So, so uh, we have um, boundaries and bystander, bystander effect. And then we come to the R and R is about respect. So if you know the people's boundaries, it's about respecting those boundaries. And this is a difficult one. Respect is so difficult to get get my head around because it means different things to different people. And I use the example of a man opens a door for a woman and she's said, I can open my own door. And so the next time he doesn't open the door and the woman says, what's wrong with you? Aren't you a gentleman? Can't you open my door? And so so it's very confusing out there that that people don't understand how to respect other people because what is respect and what is it, how how is it defined by the different people? So it's just, learning to again going back to communication is communicating understanding what the boundaries are and then respecting them and then also for our is being a role model and that's what you were saying about getting the teachers and the parents involved we've got to teach them to be role models to the youth that they can show people what good behaviors are Mm. and so we need to find and develop the role models out there Mm-hmm. That's brilliant. I love that. All right. So and we have then we come to 
<laughs> a and the big A is agreement. Um, it's asking. Don't just take for granted what what and and it's not a no. You know, people say no is no, but agreement is an enthusiastic yes. It's more mm -hmm. than a no. It's saying yes, I want to do this. Now, obviously, in a sexual relationship, it's a bit difficult. You know, you you highly arouse. You say, okay, let's have a discussion. Do you want this? <laughs> and you lose, and you lose the moment. But again, if you understand the boundaries of the person as you're going into a relationship, then you know what that agreement is going to be, and you 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 learn to read the body language, and you learn to read. Um, how the person is reacting, and then honor those those subtle no's that mm. are taking place. So agreement is so, so important. And also under the A is be alert. Mm. Uh, what is happening out there? Did you see that that boy did something wrong? Did you see that man was behaving badly? Being alert to things that people are saying and doing and then intervening and, and, and stopping it and going, you know, even if it's just one person, I did, I did a program with a bunch of school kids and there was only, unfortunately, only one boy on the program, the rest were all girls, but he was like, wow, okay, I'm, I'm really gonna go and stop my friends from, from doing what they're doing. He wasn't aware, he wasn't aware of the, the negativity of it. And the sad part about that is he goes back to school the next day. He's the, or he tells his friends to stop doing that. And his friends say, oh, stop being a sissy. Um, mm. And so he gets intimidated or bullied into not changing. Mm. Um, and so you need a movement. You need a group of kids to, to say, yes, let's do this together. Yeah. So alertness and awareness is, is so important with, with mm. the A. Wow. That is, that is very, very true. And um, I mean, what are some ways that you think that we can bring awareness um, to children in an effective way about these different, you know, bullying and toxic behaviors? We need to educate them and show them what, it, what the toxic behavior is. Mm -hmm. and then show them the impact of that behavior, that mm -hmm. it's their mother, their sister, their auntie, their daughter, that they understand that it's, it's just a woman, or if in, in the case of a boy, it's just their brother or their father, and um, that it impacts so negatively on the person, on their behavior, and then on how they treat other people, because learned behavior. Right. And so it, it's it's just a matter we've got to just start one by one by one and start reaching these people and helping them understand how negative those behaviors are. That is that's very true. I remember when I when I first had my my daughter, she's seven now. Um, but when I first had her and she was around one years old, I was I was actually looking for how I could spank her correctly um because i wanted to spank her and um is spanking common in south africa or is that not really a you're not, not allowed to do it anymore oh okay it's illegal there basically yeah it's oh. the capital punishment is not allowed so people don't spank oh wow I didn't know that. Um, well, here in the United States, spanking is very much a part of American culture. And I was, you know, raised, my parents are, you know, devout Christians and I knew that they loved me. Um, and, and they would often say, you know, because we love you, we're going to spank you. And so in my mind, you know, when I had my own children, I thought that spanking was a part of my expression of my love and care for my daughter because I thought that that was something that God wanted us to do was to spank our children because that's what I had been taught and I wasn't even aware that how toxic that behavior is and how harmful spanking is for for children and how harmful spanking was even for me until as an adult as I started really reflecting on that practice and looking at it um but I you know I, I think you really brought that, you know, kind of that idea to light that there are behaviors that a lot of times in our own experience, they're just normal for us. Um, and we can't even identify them as like, wow, that is a toxic behavior until someone can really explicitly say, hey, what, 
you know, that's what that behavior is causing harm or this behavior is, is not helpful. Like here are some other strategies that you can use instead. But um, I think there are a lot of people that are, you know, walking around like myself that we do these toxic behaviors, whether intentionally or unintentionally, and we're not even aware that it's toxic because we haven't had that conversation with someone or we haven't invested that time, you know, to really look into it and say, oh, wow, you know, this, this behavior is causing harm in a way that I wasn't aware of before. And I'm going to do something different. Yeah. So that, that awareness piece is, is huge. <laughs> it's huge. All right. So we have VRA. I, what is the V? Values. So, you know, we've got the indoctrinated values that we grow up with from our schools and our parents and our churches and religious institutes. But it's more than that. We develop our own values as we grow older. So it's also understanding because we don't always understand what those values are. Mm. So it's a lot of self-awareness. What are your values? What is important to you? And then making sure that you, you spend time with people who have similar values that that you've got something in common with the, with the people in your in your circle you don't have to have the same likes and dislikes but if you've got the same values then then life will be so much easier <laughs> so values and then also having a voice mm. it's so important that you speak up speak out share vulnerably what you're feeling what you're seeing have that voice it goes a little bit with the bystander speak up speak out um, if you are hurt, share it. You don't have to go, I mean, I went very public. You don't have to go public, but do share your experience with somebody, be it a parent, a teacher, a, a helper, uh, somebody who can support you. Have that voice, speak up, speak out, so that we can make a difference. You know, earlier you mentioned, you know, the statistics about boys in particular that a lot of times it is the boys that are that are kind of left to suffer in silence because they they don't talk about abuse when it happens to them and i'm wondering why do you think that is like why do you think that boys are more silent about the abuse that they're enduring or the toxic behaviors that they're that they're dealing with in their life and how can we address that issue so that boys can also feel empowered to speak out when they are experiencing harmful behaviors it's about redefining what masculinity is you know men and boys are strong and you know and they and that's why for me brave we must teach people that brave is not about being able to beat somebody up it's about having these qualities and so we've got to redefine masculinity yes we want our men to be strong and protective um but but gentle with it. We don't want them to be bullies. And so we have to let people know that just because you're stronger than the next person doesn't mean that you are braver. doesn't mean that you're not a man if you, if you, you're weak, you know, and you can't fight that physical fight. So boys are taught from a young age that they've got to be strong and be able to fight for what they believe in. And Mm -hmm. we've got to change all of that. We've got to say, yeah, they can cook and they can cuddle and they can cry. Boys can cry. Mm. So I love that. My my dad actually he used to tell me all the time. He's like, the better man is not the one that wins the fight, but the one that can avoid it altogether. And that was something that always really stuck out to me because you know the the environment that I was teaching in, they were raised with a very opposite mentality. You know, they were raised with you know, my students had this expectation from their parents that if someone looks at you wrong, you, you punch them in the face, you know? Um, and if someone hits you, you hit them right back. And, and it, it was definitely that different set of values that you mentioned, you know, like they had that upbringing. Whereas, you know, from my perspective, I really, that was just so clear to me that I was like, I want a man that knows how to avoid a fight altogether. And that is able to have dialogue and like healthy communication when there's a problem and they're not having to go in with you know guns blazing and punches thrown and everything to be able to resolve differences with someone else um but yeah it, it definitely is a different set of values that we can pass on um to to our children yeah and then that brings us to the last letter of e which the obvious one is equality 
And it's not saying you have to treat everybody equally because women are not as physically strong as men. So they, you know, you, you can't expect them to, to do the same things as men, but giving people the equal opportunity, giving them fairness, treating them the same way. So equality is, is absolutely critical. Um, and then empowerment, empowering people to make the right decisions and then supporting them in that empowerment. So we need to create empowerment successful individuals. Mm. And how can we do that? How can we create empowered children? Well, it, it goes back by teaching resilience. They have to understand how they can get back after they've been knocked down. Um, because we all get knocked down at some point in our life, be it just a verbal, you useless kind of comment to maybe a physical abuse. Um, mm -hmm. We all get knocked down. And, and resilience is not getting it's not, you know, they always say it's bouncing back. You never quite bounce back to where you were. You claw your way back and you crawl your way back. But you get back to some kind of meaningful existence. Um, so it's about teaching resilience, about taking a situation, reframing it, uh, re refocusing it and redirecting it into a new, a new paradigm. And then also about teaching grit. Uh, so grit is about, so what is my focus? What is my aspiration? What is my dream? And how can I go forward with that, with determination and passion and pers perseverance and persistence? Yeah. So resilience and grit are the two powerful uh, behaviors that we need to teach everybody. If we've got resilience and grit, we will become empowered. Mm. I, I actually, the first time that I heard of grit was from a TED talk. I'm, I'm sure you've probably seen it before, but if, um, if you're listening and you haven't seen it, I will make sure that I include the link for the TED talk in the show notes. So feel free to check that out. But there was a TED talk that was done about grit and it really, I shared it with all my students in my classroom because what they discovered was that what made people successful in life wasn't their IQ score. It wasn't how smart they were. It wasn't how wealthy they were or their you know upbringing or any of these other things. They said that the most significant factor in determining who was successful and happy and had a successful and happy life were the people that had grit. Um, and, and that idea I think has, is difficult for, for people nowadays. And um, it is definitely a character quality that is, I feel like is not very common. Um, you know, we're, we're, I feel like we're kind of in this society where it's easy to, you know, give up or um, when people are faced with challenges, a lot of times, you know, as parents, we try to almost avoid our children experiencing challenges altogether. We're like, okay, we're just going to kind of protect you in this little bubble and, you know, not let you go outside by yourself or, you know, not let you do these different things because we want to protect you. Um, but it is precisely by giving our children that freedom to, to be brave, uh, to take risks, to potentially fail, to experience the consequences of their choices. That's part of developing grit. Um, and I'm wondering if you have any other strategies that you could recommend for developing, you mentioned grit and resilience. What are ways that we as parents or teachers um, can encourage our children to cultivate grit in their lives? Let's, if, you've got a, if you've got a vision, if you've got a dream or an aspiration, and, and, and it starts with self-awareness, which we spoke about earlier. Mm -hmm. um, who am I? What are my strengths? What are my challenges? And what am I going to do with these, with these strengths? And how am I going to overcome the challenges? So with that self-awareness, and you can say, okay, well, now what is my passion? What do I want to do with these strengths that I've got? What am I going to do to overcome those weaknesses or challenges? And then setting that goal, setting goals to achieve that, and then just having a mindset where we can say, okay, that's what I want. That's what I really want. So now I've got an action plan and I'm going to go forward with that persistence, with that perseverance, maybe get an accountability partner, a teacher, a parent, a colleague, somebody who can sit with you and be, help you be accountable, check in with you once a week, how you doing 
on your goals. Accountability really, really helps. Um, everybody should have an accountability partner. Mm. Just it, it, it's not a big thing. It's once a week you check in with the person and you say, okay, you set the goal last week that you're going to do this. Have you done this? What has stopped you from achieving it? Where can you get help to help you achieve that? Mm. Um, and you will find you progress so much quicker and you become so much more empowered when you've got that person holding you accountable. It was um, Marshall Goldsmith. I don't know if you know him. He's a, he's a world famous coach. He actually paid somebody. He paid somebody to phone him every day and ask him the same 10 questions every day. Mm. <laughs> um, and that was his accountability. It was, did you phone your children today? Did you do this? Did you do that? And he knew the questions because he, he made the questions, but it was just somebody holding him accountable mm. for that. Uh, and I love that. And so I do that as well now. <laughs> so I don't pay anybody, but I've got an accountability <laughs> partner. <laughs> Well, I mean, you're, you're right. I think when we can share our goals outside of ourselves, like it's very easy when you set a goal for yourself that you can kind of, you know, push your, your deadlines, you know, to the side a little bit, but when we are public about our goals or when we're, when we're sharing them, even if it's not necessary publicly, but when we share them with someone else that we trust and we invite them to be that level of accountability for us it does it really does transform our our progress because it's not just me that's knowing about this it's like there's someone else out there that's a part of this journey with me and they're having these conversations with me and a lot of times just having that push of um i, I remember when i was going to the gym like there would be days where like i wouldn't want to go to the gym and but the fact that i knew that my friend was going to be there at the gym waiting for me i was like okay i gotta roll my butt out of bed and get to the gym um, but yeah, definitely having that, you know, accountability partner can have a huge impact on our life, not just when it comes to going to the gym, which I think a lot of people think about accountability when it comes to health, like physical health and wellness. Um, but a lot of times we don't think about having accountability with these other areas of our life that we want to grow in, whether that be um, having a gentle parenting accountability partner or any area of your life that you feel like you want to grow in or have some goals or, or you know, really see some tangible movement forward into becoming the kind of person that you want to be or, or achieving the things that you want to achieve in your life. But having that external accountability is so important. And I really appreciate you bringing that up, Lois. That was brilliant. So I'm wondering also, um, I, I see you have like a tag there in the back of your picture there. It says walking without skin. Is that a, a book or could you tell me a little bit more about that? That's my everything. <laughs> I have a book by that name. I have a podcast by that name. I have a Facebook page by that name. So walking without skin, yes. <laughs> what is that um, book about? It's my story, and the subtitle is From Fear to Forgiveness to Freedom. Mm. And it's, it, it, it takes people on the journey from victim to survivor to thriver and beyond to freedom. Mm. So it includes the developing the resilience and the grit. So it's part memoir and part self-help guide. Mm. I love that. And I'll make sure that I get that the link for you for that book as well. So if anyone is interested in checking out your book or your Facebook group or any of these other things that they'll be able to get in touch with you as well. Um, I'm wondering if you have any other tips or tricks that you would like to share with my audience about how they can help their children be brave or how they can themselves be brave and implement these strategies that you've been sharing so far. Do you have any other pieces of advice that you would like to share? The main one, <laughs> and that is to learn to forgive. So it's about forgiving yourself. You know, we make mistakes. You referred to it earlier. We fail. Uh, we all fail in some way or other. So it's about forgiving yourself for those failures and forgiving perpetrators who've harmed you in some way. And, you know, in my case, it was like, how can you forgive the man who raped you and changed your life so radically? And... We, if you look at my model that takes you from victim to survivor to thriver, when you're a victim or even a survivor, it's, it's impossible to forgive because you're still rebuilding your life. You're still coping with the emotions and the trauma. But when you become a thriver, you're in a position where you can consider forgiving. And 
forgiveness is a muscle and so you can practice forgiveness so i advise everybody today we all keep gratitude journals these days it's part of what we do these days i'm saying let's start a forgiveness journal every day mm. three things to forgive yourself for i forgive myself for pushing the snooze alarm i forgive myself for shouting at the dog for eating my slipper i forgive myself for burning the toast three little things that you think that doesn't need forgiveness but by practicing it it becomes easier and easier so when it's something big it becomes part of who you are forgiveness becomes part of your very being and the same with forgiving others so you forgive the dog for chewing your slipper you forgive your friend for not phoning you on your birthday you forgive the the person who dropped your pushed you in the supermarket and you spilt the milk or whatever it is again just practice those little forgivenesses so that when it comes to the big things it, it's that much easier i went to the prison uh, 14 years after uh, the rapist was given a 25 year sentence and i went to his parole hearing 14 years later and i forgave him in prison and it set me free. It broke that bond that was holding me. You know, in unforgiveness is you just bonded to that situation or that person and you triggered and you remember all the bad things and you get emotional about it mm -hmm. and you carry that trauma. But when you forgive, what you're actually doing is you're breaking that bond mm -hmm. and you're literally setting yourself free from that situation. Wow, that's powerful. I cannot even imagine what that moment must have been like for you to go to his parole hearing and to communicate in person in front of other people too, that you could forgive him for doing something so terrible. Um, that's beautiful. The, the authorities told me that they would let me know in seven days if he got parole or not. And it was instantaneous. I said, no, I don't need to know. I don't want to know because by forgiving, I had broken that tie. And to this day, I have no idea what happened to him. It doesn't concern me anymore. And also, I have never been triggered since that day. Wow, that's incredible. Um, for forgiveness is definitely a difficult a difficult thing. Um, and, and I know for myself, going through that process of being able to forgive him, but then like the man who raped me and then also being able to forgive myself because I feel like I had a lot of blame and guilt on myself for what happened to me. Um, that was very, very difficult. Um, you know, but as we're having this conversation, we're talking about toxic behaviors with, with those things, it's kind of like a, a moment, but, you know, as you mentioned, he's not really a part of your life anymore. And, you know, you can kind of move on your life without him. Um, but I'm wondering about people that are, in toxic environments, whether that be, you know, uh, domestic violence, like a spouse that's abusive, or their children that are dealing with a parent who's abusive, um, or toxic. And yes, we can forgive them. But do you do you think that like forgiveness means that you like continue in that same toxic environment? Or how should, I guess, how should we handle forgiveness? Um, when there are people in our lives, like on our day-to-day -day life that are, you know, experiencing, or I guess, exhibiting toxic behaviors towards us? Personally, I don't believe you can forgive when you're in the situation because you're faced with that trauma. You're dealing with the anger, the fear, the whatever it is that you're dealing with, the sadness, whatever it is, how can you forgive somebody when they're continually making you afraid or, or or, or sad or whatever it is, uh, it, it doesn't make sense mm -hmm. to me. Um, I know other people feel that, that you can forgive at that point. I feel, no, you're dealing with the trauma and that takes a different set of, of skills to be able to manage the trauma that you are experiencing. Mm -hmm. And even when you're a survivor and you've got some, you know, maybe you've left the relationship and you, but you're still dealing with the, with the fallout of it. You're still feeling afraid or you're still feeling the anger, whatever it is. So how can you forgive when you're feeling those emotions? So you have to deal with those emotions first. And you, 
when you're in this situation, those emotions don't go away. They're going to keep coming back because you're going to keep being afraid. You're going to keep being angry. So you can't really truly forgive until you're out of that situation and you've, you've got your life back together and you're focusing on a new reality. And then that's when you can forgive. Because mm. I, I think a lot of people assume that by forgiving someone, you know, it means that you just go back to the way that things were, you know, so like, okay, if I forgive my abusive husband, then I'll just, you know, continue in this relationship, or if I'm, you know, in this abusive relationship, or whatever. Um, and, and that was something that was really challenging for me was wrestling with the fact that, like, I have a commitment to, to forgive everyone, you know, as, as a Christian, like God calls us to forgive everyone who has wronged us. And so I have a commitment to myself to forgive anyone who has wronged me. But then at times I found myself struggling with that idea. I guess it goes back to those boundaries that you mentioned of the B, right? Like we forgive people, but that doesn't mean that everything just goes back to the way that it was before that offense, because there are times when when we do need to set up those boundaries that can help us to protect our, our peace, our emotional and physical safety and well-being. Um, and, and just because your relationship may not look like what it did before, that doesn't mean that you haven't forgiven the person. Um, you know, as you mentioned, sometimes it, it is necessary to remove yourself from a dangerous or toxic environment in order to be able to heal from that trauma so that you can forgive fully and freely. Um, but it, it is, it, it can be challenging, but I, I think it does go back to those boundaries that you mentioned at the very beginning, that by setting boundaries, um, we can still forgive, but still have those boundaries in place that will protect us from additional trauma and additional toxic, you know, offenses. Now, one's got to be careful that forgiveness, it's not condoning the behavior. And a lot of people think, um, especially when you think of the Christian forgiveness, I'll forgive you. And then the guy carries on beating you up. Mm-hmm. That's not what forgiveness is about. Forgiveness right. is when the guy has truly said, okay, I'm sorry, and I won't do it again. And he stops doing it. Then he deserves forgiveness. So you've got to just make sure that it's not condoning because by just forgiving and it continues, you're actually condoning it. You're saying, well, okay, I'll just forgive you each time he beats me up. And, and that's not what it's about. It's about breaking free. It's, a, it's really about breaking free from the situation. Right. Um, and, and yeah, so it's not condoning it. So if it carries on. It's not forgiveness. You haven't forgiven. You, you're just supporting it. You're supporting, you're allowing him to carry on. Mm. Mm. Yeah, those, those boundaries, <laughs> boundaries can definitely be very challenging, but they're so, so important. Um, and, and so I, I do, I think that is really important to remember, like exactly as you said, like we're not called to condone um, harmful behavior at all. Um, but, but that is why we have those boundaries so that we can set those limits and say, you know, I, I love you. I care for you. I, you know, whatever, but I'm not going to allow you to continue to treat me in this way. Um, and, or I'm not going to allow you to continue to treat my child in this way. And that was a huge part of why I wrote, um, I wrote my book tales of a toxic teacher, because it's almost like my, my plea to parents, like I want parents to see the toxic relationship that, they're ha- that their children are having in schools um, and then to be able to set those boundaries and say, I'm not going to allow this, this behavior to continue. I'm not going to allow these systems to continue harming my child and then to take actions that are consistent with having those boundaries. But, but having those boundaries from the beginning can, that's that first step you know I think that's why you you have it as the b it's the first thing the first thing we need is to be able to set those boundaries um for for ourselves and then of course as parents being able to see you know the the environments that we are creating for our children the environments that we're choosing because no we're not stuck in any environment I know a lot of times people feel stuck in an abusive relationship or an abusive situation or a you know toxic environment toxic workplace whatever and they just kind of feel like oh I'm stuck here you know um but but you're not like you are free to to choose something different and to chart your new path and to make different choices that can protect um yourself and protect your children 
from being in toxic environments. And even just hearing your story as you kind of transition between all these different jobs, I, I thought it was so fascinating how, you know, like you've, you've done all these different things and, and how you went through seasons where it was like your passion was really in the forefront. Um, but then you also went through seasons where, you know, you, you kind of, you said you kind of just had like a normal job, you know, and, and you were able to focus more on yourself and, um, and just kind of do a normal job. And then now you're able to be in this different space where you're again, contributing to these things that really are like your heart and your passion. And, and that's a real encouragement for, for me. And I know also for my listeners of the fact that, you know, life is, life is a marathon and, um, the, the different stages and phases of our life, we're not stuck in them forever. Like there is change that comes in our life and there is life after trauma and there's a beautiful life that can happen after trauma. And just like you've done, you've been able to take the trauma that you experienced and to be able to transform that and use that to be able to not just help others heal from trauma, but as you mentioned, to stop trauma from even starting in the beginning. So thank you so very much for doing that work. Um, and if you had one last piece of advice to share with my listeners today, what would it be? I just say to everybody, forgive so that you can fly free. <laughs> I love that. And for, for those who are not watching the video version, she has a beautiful butterfly um, to remind us to fly free. So thank you so much, Lois, for sharing that. Um, if someone is listening today and they would like to get connected with you and the work that you're doing, how can people find you? Walkingwithoutskin.com. Okay. Perfect. So walkingwithoutskin.com. And I know that you mentioned you also have a Facebook group, I believe. A page. Yeah. Oh, Facebook page. Okay. So we'll make sure that we share your Facebook page. And are you on Instagram? Instagram under my name and LinkedIn under my name. Okay. Awesome. So I'll make sure that I get all those links from her so I can share those with you. Um, I want to thank you so very much, Lois, for joining us today and for all of my listeners for joining us today on the Peaceful World Schooling Podcast. I hope that this episode was as much of a blessing for you as it has been for me. Uh, please remember that there are new episodes of the podcast that are released every Tuesday, so make sure that you subscribe so you will not miss out on a single one. Um, if you would like to support me and the work that I'm doing, please share this episode with your family and friends and consider checking out the links in the description where you can be a part of the Peaceful World Schooling community. All right. I hope that your day is as wonderful as you are, and I will see you next Tuesday. Thank you. <laughs> Join us next Tuesday on the Peaceful World Schooling Podcast. I'm your host, Angela Harders. And if you enjoyed today's episode, click subscribe and be sure to hit the bell so you will not miss out on a single episode.